I decided I needed to get out of the big city for a while to search for cinema spoilers in the wild. So I hopped in my old Camino and I took off for the open road. It wasn't long before I took a left turn into the surreal. A fly landed on my arm and I got the shivers. The sounds of a typewriter filled my ears. And I was so tired I felt like I was in a dead zone. That's when my eyes caught the sight of a sign that said, Welcome to Cronenberg. Behind that sign was a place that was a dead ringer for home. As I pulled in the parking lot, I realized no matter where I go, I can always find the spoiler room. Welcome, my friends, and thank you for journeying back down the stairs with us to the spoiler room. Yes, this is our first Welcome to Cronenberg special. We're doing the special series this year, like we do every year. And this year we're covering 12 movies from Mr. Cronenberg. And tonight to kick it off, we're watching his, I think, second film. Uh, and we have with me tonight the lovely Andrew Shearer to talk about this most peculiar movie. How you doing, Andrew? Oh, man, I'm good. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just having a little bit of of uh, leftover foam, leftover titty foam. It's, uh, oh, God, it's, it's pretty nice. A little, little chocolate sauce on the top. Oh. oh, wow. Yeah. And that was just within like the first 10 minutes. <laughs> but you hung in there, man. I, I watched the whole thing, man. I, I watched this whole thing and I tell you, you know, it's one of those things where, you watch early movies of, of some of these well-known directors, and sometimes you can see them right away, and sometimes you can't. Like me personally, no offense, I love John Carpenter's stuff. Usually, unfortunately, Dark Star, which I've watched a number of times, it just it doesn't do it for me. I've seen so many people be very... Oh, this is a great film to start off and satire. And that one I couldn't get into, but Duel, I could. This was my first time watching Crimes of the Future. And let me tell you, yeah, I looked at this going, yeah, that's Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? It, it was like within the first, I don't know, just a couple minutes of it. I'm watching it going, oh, crap, this is Cronenberg. We're in for it now. Yeah. Uh, so you remember when you first watched this? Yeah. Um, you know, um, every Cronenberg fan or Cronenberg collector has at least two copies of crimes of the future. Mm -hmm. Um, because it was, they stuck it on a uh, fast company Blu-ray and then they also included it in the brood, uh, Blu-ray as well. And, uh, and then of course later arrow put uh, put out that collection of all his early films as, as a, as a, as a single disc. And so, yeah, I've I've seen it a, a few times, and I, I I was the same as you, man. I was just like so overjoyed to see how clear his vision was and his style was right away. You know, I like it, it's almost, it, you know, it's almost like he's he's got his own little. Since you know we were talking about superheroes, it's almost like there's a Cronenberg verse. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like all those first movies of his can kind of almost exist. Uh, in the same world, you know? Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that with his work. And in this one, 
man, it's like, I just, it was like, I'm looking at this and this is one of those where, I mean, if people wonder, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if anyone ever hears certain cinephiles or film fans throw around the idea of, you know, no restraint filmmaking, just, just making the movie they want to make. This one is definitely that because you look at this going, yeah, he he's telling the story he wants to tell and he doesn't really give a damn if this is going to appeal to everyone. <laughs> no, that's true. And, uh, you know, unlike someone like Carpenter or Spielberg, um, Cronenberg started out making underground movies. Mm -hmm. You know, his his early stuff was definitely like decidedly uncommercial. He was not trying to be like anything. As a matter of fact, I, I think um, those early the the early sh uh, short films and and uh, these two, which is almost barely feature length, um, stereo before this, and then Crimes of the Future, um, they're almost like a anti film in a way. It just mm -hmm. like, very very much so wanted to be their own thing uh, separately, which is what underground film really is. You know, they're not there's no thought to um, Hollywood success, mainstream success, or even necessarily communicating any real idea. It just really is its own kind of artistic expression and, you know, therefore could put some people off. But if you're a fan of Cronenberg, this is like you said, it is right in line with all his early stuff and all his classic stuff. And what, what you would say is his signature. Um, body horror or horror involving, you know, <laughs> having imagery of, uh, of the body of some kind of metamorphosis for uh, lack of a better term and a reference to his later films. <laughs> um, you know, is one of the things too, I don't, it's hard to put a finger on it for me. You know, whenever someone says singer, I just, when I'm watching it, I'm like, just the, the way everything's presented. I mean, the Adrian tripod character, you know, you know, the way he introduces him, I think for me, what was what it was is, and I don't know why, but I'm watching the film going, okay, this is kind of odd. And then we get the scene where the one intern who's an assistant to uh, Dr. Tripod uh, brings his hand out to scratch his nose or whatever, and his fingernails are painted. Yeah. And it, I don't know why, but the minute I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is Cronenberg. We're in for it. Yeah, well, he's he's throwing little things out there before he gives you like the proper story, because there's no Cronenberg movie I feel, at least of the ones he wrote, that you can just watch one time and get it. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is the first time you watch one of these, be it uh, Crimes of the Future or or Rabid, or uh, even something like Existence, which I feel is pretty much the last of this, if we're going to say, call it a Cronenberg verse is the last entry in that. Um, the first time you see it, you're bombarded with so much unique ideas, imagery and concepts that you really just are like, this whole thing has to w wash over you once. And you're just like, Holy crap. And then you kind of dig back in and start kind of feeling out what it's doing. Well, I mean, uh, just starting with the Adrian tripod character, I'm looking at this and it reminded me a bit of because there's always like that character in anime. This character, even though he's voiced in the inner monologue that we hear, because most of the film is told with a voiceover, 
um, is is male voice. You look at him and he's got an androgynous look to him. Just like, you know, you've had for Adrian Tripod. So at first I was trying to figure out, is that a guy or is that, did he get a female to play a guy? <laughs> I, I felt bad. I, I felt that, you know, but I'm sitting here going and, you know, the name Adrian as well. I'm like, there's kind of this little bit of a era of enigma around who Adrian is at first when we meet him. Uh, did you get the same feeling at all, or am I just making stuff up in my head? <laughs> well, no, no, he's kind of, he had to be kind of like a neutral sort of a force, almost, almost like a non-presence because mm -hmm. he is like basically kind of like navigating this entire world. And so because there's no women in this world, mm -hmm. uh, because it does, does take place in a future in which cosmetics <laughs> have caused the disease and then death of all women. And so it's just men left to kind of like just figure out how humankind is going to carry on. Um, and he's kind of the observer through there. He wears all black. He wears, you know, and even that black goes, I think it's a turtleneck. Yeah. He wears. And um, he's just kind of floating through. And I, I know, I believe the actor that plays him was a, a quite an elegant gay gentleman. I cannot remember his name. Ronald, but, uh, Ronald Moldzik. Something like that. He was yeah. the star of, uh, of stereo as well the film before this and um showed up in like kind of small parts in a couple of the other early ones too uh i think he was in shivers and in rabid but um i yeah i can i can definitely see where you would get that impression because you and you know he also has like mid mid shoulder or length um hair right mm -hmm. so everything yeah. about him is just sort of like kind of in between uh compared to the other men in the film so i can see that yeah yeah, and and it's funny you mentioned that that's what happens, you know, is that all the women have died from the uh, from cosmetics because in all honesty, I, I didn't pick up on that at first. I mean, because he throws a lot of dialogue out to make Adrian Tripod sound very doctorish because of the way Adrian presents things. I mean... And, and in fact, his dialogue throughout, you have to kind of pay attention. I really sound probably like I'm like 10th grade level here, but you have to pay attention to the words he's saying because he uses a lot of big words. Well, not only that, it, it's a silent movie, basically. It's all, yeah. like you said, told in vo voiceover and really odd, you know, obtuse noises and sound effects because... Um, the movie was shot at 35 millimeters, beautiful looking film. Oh, looks just like all Cronenberg's. Like you'll be very familiar with it if you've seen his other 70s stuff, and and uh, you know right away you'll be comfortable in the world. But he doesn't have people like talking to each other in recorded dialogue. It's all the whole story is given to you. It's almost like someone's reading from a short story uh, that Cronenberg wrote, and then putting imagery up under it uh, to illustrate that story, and so. Yeah, you'll be you'll be lost. You won't understand it if you don't pay attention to what he's saying because he, the story is happening all through voiceover. So all your context is uh, is from that. And, but what I what I love about that too, and what I found myself was the way Cronenberg handles this is is wild because he first presents the visuals for the scene at first, so you're not always going to get the voiceover before 
things start happening on screen at say a scene or a location so at first you're like okay and you're almost waiting after a little while in the film going <laughs> who is this oh okay what's coming? where am i <laughs> where, yeah where, <laughs> you know, in, a, in a good way because it's got you paying attention when you're just like okay all right there's some weird stuff happening he isn't talking yet what what is it supposed to be, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And there are some people he flat just does not tell you who they are, no. where they came from, you know. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because you get uh, a, a scene. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a series of short stories involving uh, Dr. Tripod because we get the beginning where he's talking about the house of skin and they're treating one guy who's suffering from what's called rouge uh disease or rouge syndrome which yeah. causes foam to come out of your orifices and apparently it's very edible yeah no it, and that's so great no rouge is a very important person in the story because yeah um he was the person that basically turned that clinic into what it is mm -hmm. and um tripod is was his assistant and so rouge comes down with this illness that was um you know a lot of those women had and so he just disappears and yeah. um he tripod's not exactly sure if rouge died or not because um at one point he says that they um oh god it's been a minute give me uh no, it's it's something like uh he, he said that people there were a lot of people in the in the world in the community and in in, even in the lab that weren't very happy when rouge took over and so he thinks that, you know, they might report his death prematurely just because out of spite. Right. You know? Yep. Um, but he did know that he was very, very ill and that it was a kind of terminal thing. So he was pretty sure that he's dead. But uh, uh, Rouge's name appears a lot throughout the course of the film, not just because of this, but because there is that little hope that Tripod has that he's going to run into him again or at least find out what happened to him. Yeah. One way or the other, he'll, he'll get an answer, but he's leaning towards hoping that rouge is just hiding out <laughs> yeah and figured it out and and just yeah. came up with the cure for everything because that's what he was trying to do as the leader of the the house of skin yeah so yeah the, the 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 names for the various departments was was blowing my mind you had the the house of skin which is actually an institute uh, i mean a hospital or a, a kind of a study center for this condition that everybody has that some men started getting because uh they were the impression i get and it, it, i was trying to make sure i was trying to interpret this right because i didn't want to jump to too many conclusions but the impression i got was that with the lack of females in this world there appeared to be more homosexual type uh, men or or you know those who had a, a different tastes and uh -huh. um you know and you have that with tripod almost feels like you know he's trying to explore that but that's why some of the men started dying from the rouge disease is because they were you know putting on makeup and such like women and that's yep. why some of these were dying yeah and he, you know he even he he, he even says at one point he uh, meets a guy who has gotten a an std from one of his test subjects and you're like right. well your test subject has to be a man because <laughs> that's all that's left so yeah. you know even though he doesn't explicitly say and i should say this now to get it out of the way um underground movies 
and when I say anti-movie in terms of this movie specifically, they don't owe you really anything. No. They don't they don't owe you the same t- type of closure, explanation or narrative or structure that uh, movies normally do. So when I say you need to watch them twice, the first time is because a film like Crimes of the Future, it breaks your brain because it breaks movies. <laughs> it does break your brain, though. I did see early fly evidence in this movie because there's a gentleman uh after tripod's last person's uh patient basically dies uh which he then like kisses him to get the blood and foam off of him which tastes great it apparently tastes great and my mind was just going okay and we're only 10 minutes into the movie and Uh, and he does say that there's something kind of sexual about it as well he he said it's attractive yeah he says secretions and fluids uh that come from this rouge body uh the the, the, these rouge secretions there's something attractive about them uh but after that dies he goes to the institute of neo venereal disease yeah And apparently there's a patient there that's growing strange organs. And so when we first see this patient, you see jars of organs on a, um, on a couch next to this individual. And the minute I saw the or- uh, jars, Andrew, I was like, the fly. <laughs> I thought of uh, Brundlefly's cabinet in his bathroom. I- I thought exactly of Brundlefly's cabinet, the vet, you know. So I'm like just looking at it, going, "Oh, okay." So he used the jar of organs earlier. So I'm like, so that in Brundlefly was possibly a little bit of callback to this because it involved organs. This guy was growing odd organs off of his body, which they harvested, and he had a strange attachment to. And these, and he meets people throughout this. He meets a therapist. What at the Oceanic Podiatry Group? That whole section in the Podiatry Group is incredible because there's so much weird foot stuff going on there. Oh my God, there is. There, there's so much weird foot stuff. I mean, I'm like sitting there going, it, it, it got to the point when you reach that point in the movie. I'm just like, okay, where is he going with this? Oh, well, I mean, what what's happening there, at least from my recollection, is that it's clear that men as a species are de-evolving. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the therapy being done at the podiatry place is to keep people from getting like fins and tails again. So, um, you know, they, they kind of are developing these techniques to keep, you know, basically keep men walking upright and not retreating back into, you know, lizard slug land and just crawling into the ocean. Yeah, you're right. And that's the impression I got as well. And uh, we get that scene after he meets with this guy who shows him the methods of how to uh, help people from turning into uh, flippers and such, which also there is, I mean, throughout this whole thing, I do get sexual overtones with this. Oh yeah. So, well, it's, it's on purpose. You know, there's yeah. something kind of satirical, uh, almost comedic uh, about this movie as well. And it's would be, uh, you know, the, the earlier Cronenberg's movies are the more, I think funny they are mm-hmm. because you get the, with the scene with the foot and the guy showing the method at one point, the part of the method is he puts the foot on 
you the head mm-hmm. you, his head and then pushes it, the way it's directed at everything i'm like Oh man, I know what he's implying here. <laughs> like, it's not too hidden what what Cronenberg's going here, what idea he's going here with the feet, um, you know. But then you get that strange later to where uh, tripod is trying it with individuals, and a a guy just gets killed, and then another guy shows up with webbed toes and he's trying to do the exercises on that guy and that whole sequence was just i'm like i gotta watch this again <laughs> well it's it's interesting that the, the guy that gets killed is actually uh, killed by a cannibal right okay so it, it, it was a cannibal because it's what i kind of thought he was going for but i wasn't quite sure because again you don't get a huge like linear type of explanation or narrative at all you're just given this image well he's he runs in- after the guy and then he comes back and uh he's got blood all over his face and he's chewing something <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> he I- spits some meat out on the ground you know that but but it goes along with what's happening right there what he's saying right there is you know the whole thing about men kind of you know de-evolving mm-hmm. uh cannibalism would fall into that or at least yeah. i would think yeah, I would think so. Uh, stronger preying on the weaker because um, the way each of those two individuals involved in that altercation are portrayed, the guy who did the eating he just comes ran off, up. Yeah, he comes off more aggressive than the guy he ate, <laughs> basically, um, that he killed off in the corner. Um, yeah, so you know, it, it you, so you get that scene, and then that's when the guy comes limping up, and tripod tries to fix the one guy's foot, um, and it, unsuccessful. But we then see webbed foot guy later, who apparently yeah. is cured thanks to tripod. <laughs> <laughs> In a manner of speaking, I mean, <laughs> those guys, yeah. they're still not doing so great as a species. No, everybody, all, all the guys seem to be wore down a bit almost. Like, yeah, just, and in, go ahead. No, as I say, in varying degrees of just being lost, yeah, you know, and trying to because, um, tripod basically wanders through the film, and the men he encounters are often alone mm-hmm. and also seem to be kind of aimless, you know, or resigned. Yeah, they're they're just around i mean tripod then goes he's like he's looking in his quest for rouge he's goes to all these different places including he becomes a courier for this company that it looks like he was doling out linens of some kind like white gloves and oh well at first it was all socks and so that you know that continues on with the whole foot thing yeah Oh, they were all socks, weren't they? I didn't even, I hadn't even noticed too much. I, yeah, it's just like kink upon kink. Pretty great. Yeah, well, and your brains, and this was my first viewing, your brain, there is so much to dissect when you get a scene like this. You mentioned socks. I didn't notice that they were socks. I noticed they were other linens, you know, and, and wearable stuff. And the guy, he gave them to, packages them up in his own plastic bags. And then tripod moves on to another guy. And then there's a guy doing 
ballet in the hall. Yeah. And you're right. All these guys seem to be lost. Like they, they don't feel like they have much of a purpose anymore. I mean, they don't, I mean, look at what's the world has become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, we, that, that whole sequence with him handing out the linens and then he meets up and then things really get weird folks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm watching this going, he, he, okay. He's a courier for the metaphysical import export. He's a courier for them. Uh, and next thing you know, he's meeting with a group of individuals who are led heterosexual pedophiles. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it does make sense with the, with the story because what they've said earlier is that, uh, the only people that that were not affected by this disease um it, it were um like young girls basically right prepubescent yeah right. and yeah. so by that rationale they think the only way to save uh humanity in, in order to like repopulate the only people that they that could possibly be you know the key to all that would be these these uh you know the young girls or whatever so that not not to say it makes it okay but um in their you know quickly de-evolutionized state and irrational and desperate and you know overly scientific without emotion um kind of way of thinking this uh this is the conclusion they've arrived at yeah and and that actually comes in near the end of the film that that starts to come together because just before that we get a scene involving provocative spheres in which that's the, a weird part that that that's that whole scene because he comes in after he said he was a courier he meets up with the guy who used to you know limp with his web feet but thanks to the exercises tripod did he says he's actually okay with himself now and he can walk on that leg better and then he says oh join this group who are led by a guy named jonkin who convince the group that these spheres are sexual i i got they were they were they referred to them as provocative spheres as aquariums yeah and, they, and you kind of you pick the one that you like the best and get your gloves on and just sort of <laughs> you know get down there in the pleasure dome and just start rubbing on it and just, you know just rub on these aquariums yeah but it's, it, to me it's hilarious you know oh, because these are these are all like it's so so-called intelligent dudes solutions to their problems you know yeah all these various things it's it, to me it wasn't too difficult to see like i can't i can't you know presuppose what uh cronenberg was saying with it but i know what i get from it when i see it for sure well i got the satire of science in it for sure mm-hmm throughout because yeah like you mentioned a lot of these quote-unquote scientists just feel very inept at what <laughs> you know it, it you know like tripod just is quickly uh accepted into the uh was it the gynecological research foundation um you know he, his approval uh, to help do the research i mean just like that i'm like wow that was rather quick 
quick. Yeah, he's on the, he's on the st- staff within minutes of being there. Yeah, I'm like, oh, they, you know, scientists must be a dime a dozen. You're thinking, and those guys that are picked, there's not exactly a vetting process for this. It feels like, no, no, everything is totally in shambles, and you know, it's mostly deserted. I mean, a lot of the places oh, yeah. when even if if there are two people on screen, you don't see people walking by. Uh, you don't see people using elevators, stairs. I mean, this stuff, this place is all the places they are are just ghost town they're barren they really are uh, which i was i i loved the the barren feel because it just is just added to the atmosphere and the subject matter that you got and his use and i i hope i'm not diving into too deep of a well where i don't know much about but to me it got where he some of the framing and some of the visuals that he used in here were were great like the long halls and you know like he's out in that uh the field where the scene with the podiatry and you've got like that sharp right angles of the stone wall and the walkway and then like the building and the angles i mean it really felt like he was giving a bit of character to where they were at as well wherever tripod went is that the case andrew or am i off that these visuals maybe he was trying to give the place a little more visual characteristics you know unique to each place and i don't know it just seemed the way he had things framed was very artistic as well well uh he was shooting in very artistic places i mean these uh college campuses or wherever it was that he filmed the architecture is incredible yeah and and so uh and very in keeping with the kind of brutalism in terms of uh settings and and minimalistic and clinical all cronenberg's things that he just loves 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 and uh (laughs) he was the one that shot uh these all his early short films so um here he is running the camera here as well and while some of his stuff with people or coverage isn't so great all his master shots are amazing yeah, I mean, they are from the, you know, Institute of Venereal Disease. He picks this one location where the, the hallway curves and there's some pillars and, and the way the furniture is and everything. It's just visually it catches your eye when you first walk into whatever scene you're in. Uh, even so much as Tripod later on going to the uh, the apartment complex or whatever that supposedly was the last place where Rouge was seen even that it, it he's walking up to this building that is is actually very visually interesting and, and it just gives it a little bit of an otherly world feel to this entire you know new world that uh, tripod lives in yeah it's a lesson for people who want to make movies or even who want to shoot photographs it is all about what you put in front of the camera mm-hmm. everything someone everything in the frame has to be interesting to look at or move your camera pointed at something else do you find something interesting to look at you know you see a lot of dependence uh in uh, independent film and low budget film on um or reliance i should say uh on um on e- uh, the equipment and thinking well if i get this great camera and it's going to be in 4k 8k whatever it's going to be this crisp, clean look and this very cinematic framing. 
but I'm going to shoot in this boring ass kitchen. I'm going to shoot these boring ass trees. Look what Cronenberg <laughs> did, you know, do some, take some time and find some great looking places and, uh, and put your people in front of that. Even if it's just an interesting wallpaper. Yeah. And you can do it now because most people's TVs and such are now widescreen. I remember mm -hmm. watching some behind the scenes stuff like late eighties, early nineties. And that when you're, four by three TV was still the more standard and you know, modern filmmakers, especially big studios would shoot with that in mind. So they wouldn't have to do the, what was called pan and scan technique. So everything was kind of in the middle. So if you did watch a widescreen, you realized how much stuff you either missed or how much stuff they didn't shoot because they were planning on everything being within a smaller square. Yeah. And, you know, and here, like you said, he's shooting it on film. He's filling the whole frame, the whole screen with something interesting. Yeah. It just shows you his artistry and his vision that, you know, even that early. And that's why these movies have been circulated and celebrated um, because they are clearly he knew what he was doing right away. Yeah. I mean, you can tell he, and the way the scenes, were shot and what was in the frame you were getting exactly what he wanted to give you he wasn't just walking around with a camera and going oh we'll shoot here <laughs> you know? yeah. he, he everything seemed to be very well thought out as far as where he was shooting this stuff and the images he wanted to get across and again it, it kind of helps too you have to i shouldn't say it helps but you have to kind of have that as well, because as we've mentioned already, this is pretty much a silent film. So you need more visuals for sure, because you don't yeah. really have on-screen dialogue. No, it's very minimalistic as a production and in scope, but in terms of the story that it's telling and the world that it's building, it is substantial. Um, and I think here more so than anywhere, shows Cronenberg's background as a, as a, a um, aspiring novelist um, mm -hmm. because the, 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 um, the narration and all that stuff is just, like you said, a lot of big words, very, very, uh, just very kind of lush in, in its uh, descriptions of things. And it's not because these descriptions carry the movie. It's because Cronenberg is an excellent writer and, you know, started out wanting to write books instead of make movies. It just, film was less restrictive for him and you could also feel it as well i mean i don't want people to get the impression they're going to say oh it's just a voiceover so this is going to be a you know this is going to be boring and i'm like some people might get that but it, it he, cronenberg knows this is a visual medium and he uses it to its fullest so while there it may not be a lot of action going on there's a lot of stuff in here that's just going to have your brain going, wait, what's, what's that? What I just see, what? <laughs> yeah. It's not like national geographic. These concepts are coming at you hard, fast and bizarre as fuck. And, um, the voiceover also, it does change, uh, in terms of the drama, um, the mm -hmm. part we're talking about where he's rubbing on the spears and stuff. Yeah it slows down and the space between the words gets more because he's like having a sexual experience while he's doing his voiceover. So it isn't just like nothing straightforward at all. No. And, and it, it carries throughout just when you think 
you're getting to the you know conclusion the, the third section where the where he's in the uh, gynecological research foundation and you realize that uh, there's a little girl that's going to be part of the research mm-hmm. and what the intentions are it, what's interesting is the way they set this up tripod it seems like on a mission now he's like okay you know this was part of rouge's uh you know concepts and we have they they've done a lot of work to get this uh as they call it a specimen or or this this uh uh you know this research uh individual here and you find out it's a young girl and the minute tripod sees her he leaves <laughs> he just runs out the exit uh-huh. it, because he realizes oh oh, oh crap this is what they really mean and and then a guy shows up with a machine gun uh the the machine gun guy is the security uh okay and okay. and as 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 they as they describe him as kind of unstable yeah <laughs> so uh his first thing that he has to do is get rid of this guy and get that girl out of there and so um yeah that's a great i don't remember if it's in all in one shot or not but literally the dude puts his gun down and goes to talk to those guys and then Drypod just grabs that gun and just wastes them. Yeah. And yeah. They... Waste, waste them off screen. Yeah. And then his buddies go grab the girl and take her away. And what's amazing about this scene, I, while it is extraordinarily disturbing is there's this fantastic shot and you've got to realize folks, he's doing this with a film camera and it is all in one shot. Adrian leaves. We cut away. We get the setup of the security guy with the machine gun showing up. So in this one shot, machine gun guy comes into this huge room where this little girl's supposed to be. He walks around, looks for Adrian. He comes up close to where he's nearly filming the frame, and he's just standing there, uh, legs apart. When he turns around, suddenly Tripod and his two intern buddies are right there. It is an amazing one hit shot that I watched. I rewound that and watched that a couple times because I'm like, that was so badass. Yeah. And you know, for a low budget movies, it saves time to come up with a shot like that. Uh, it saves money to come up with a shot like that. It's easier to edit when you have a shot like that. Um, and it just shows how much vision and planning it shows off your. Uh, it shows off your interiors. It shows off your costumes. It shows everything. It's I, I, I always would rather go with a shot like that. Yeah, it sets up everything, and the fact that it was done, and it, I didn't see any edit. All I saw was the machine gun guy get up really close to the frame, and as his body turns around, so it's thin. Suddenly, there's three people standing there by the exit door, and I'm like, I didn't even see the door move. I'm like that that was just an impressive shot. And then, yeah, he offs the security guy and they kidnap the girl for the purposes of <clears throat> research and to possibly do something that is, uh, you know, it is going to sit to make the audience go, Oh my God. Um, and then you get the scene in there where the three guys are sitting there and they, they see the little girl. And then the one guy who you think has been picked, to actually go through with this he runs out and you're like oh 
but then tripod comes back in the room and you're like, Oh no. <laughs> and just to be clear, when we say go through with this, they're intending to impregnate this kid yes. uh, in order to repopulate. Yes. Uh, which again, it, just when you realize this is good, you're just like, Oh, Oh God. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. I mean, you, you, yeah, it's supposed to be extraordinarily uncomfortable and he sets it up. So it is uncomfortable yet you know it's all through the performance of the three gentlemen and his narration because what actually is on screen isn't and and this is what really got me was what's actually on screen isn't anything that's portrayed disturbing but yet it's the setup and the atmosphere and the narration that just set up just and the idea that he implants in the audience's head that sets that to makes that so uncomfortable. Yeah. If you had it on mute, you'd have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. If you had it on mute, you, you wouldn't really know. You'd be like, okay, you know, and yeah. And, and, and then when the credits rolled, I sat there going, you know, I, I feel bad as the cinema watching guy, but I'm not quite sure. I know what i all watched but what i watched was amazing <laughs> if that oh, makes mean, any sense you mean the ending or just the movie as a whole just the movie in general but the ending too i i know what was kind of where he was going with the ending you know and it it leaves it open he he leaves it hanging on on what actually is going to happen next um uh i mean yeah I, I my impression of of the ending of Crimes of the Future is, you know, you've got this kid in the room, you've got Tripod coming in there, you know, sort of preparing himself for what he's going to do, but he goes, I sense the presence of Rouge, yeah, and what he's what I feel like he's saying is that Rouge has been reincarnated, and is this is Rouge this kid. And the reason I think that is because the kid starts to foam and has the oh, disease that's already. Right. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that. Well, bit. I, I, but my... you you would be you you're you would be right because it is still ambiguous. Because holy crap, it's an underground movie, homie. I mean, yeah. no, you know, there's no this is definitely happening in this movie. You have there's no, but I'm but my my thinking is that mm. by that line and then having that stuff come out. Um, and then he, you know, he takes some of it and he puts it in his mouth and then he cries one tear of blue mm -hmm. uh, comes out of his eye. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that like people that like to write papers and essays and, you know, look at things art from artistic standpoint and read things and we have a field day with this. Oh yeah. Um, but from a purely like storytelling standpoint, um, I, their, their, their plan is fucked. They can't do it. It's impossible, and there's no does he or doesn't he once the credits roll. Mm -hmm. This is a definite, it's an end to things in terms of their plan, because obviously the kid is, eh. yeah. <laughs> you know, this is not going to happen. However, if it is Rouge, he could be crying because not only has he finally, is this guy actually, you know, living still, right. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a manner of speaking, but could that, it could mean that this kid is then the hope of the future, not just as a female, 
but as this great uh, this great mentor and researcher that was starting to do work to save people before he got sick, you know. And tripod just pulls up a chair then and, and sits down. <laughs> yes, yeah, could be could be tears of joy, you know. Um, or or it could just be like, oh man, we're all doomed, you know. There's there's there isn't any definite here, uh, which makes it so great. Mm -hmm. um, but that that was my feeling on the on the end of it. I was it was like it's kind of an up. It's it kind of is hopeful, um, because uh, to me the crimes of the future is actually kind of like a feminist sci-fi comedy with no women in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, a critique of uh, of of you know just male behavior. And, um, you know, very appropriate for, for now. It's a very topical kind of conversation if one wanted to have it uh, for these days where you just have, you know, men just killing women because, they're, because they, they either feel like emasculated by them or humiliated by them or what. And you sometimes think of like, you know, you hear this news story about this guy. He's like, I wanted to kill all women or whatever. Yeah. Like, dude, what is your plan? <laughs> what do you think? What, what's the end of this? You know? Do you not? <laughs> I know you're mad, but we we need each other. We kind of biologically need, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and this is 1970 when this kind of thing is being posited, and and so you're you're seeing men aimless and without, you know, slowly losing their sanity and slowly losing their humanity uh, without women around, and then uh, ultimately there is a, a female at the end. Uh, that um, either represents their success, failure, or uh, the future, regardless of if it's short or long. Yeah, and I picked up totally uh, as well the satirical look at men's nature in general throughout this film because you get various representations of different types of guys throughout this movie. Um, so I did kind of feel like it was a bit of a satirical look at that as well. Um, and yeah, it, the ending, like I said, and I'm so glad you're on this episode with me, Andrew, because, um, yeah, my brain, it, even I watched it last night and it's still trying to process everything that was going on in this film because sure. it's just, it, it was one of those things where, and and people may think, oh, yeah, you just, you know, whatever, you're, you're talking like that or playing. I'm like, no, if you watch enough films and you watch a movie like this, you realize just how much stuff is actually going on in the movie. And your brain tries to, <laughs> tries to comprehend all that. And you can't because then there's the running thing throughout the film involving uh, uh, the, the stereo optic cards. Or I forgot what they called them, but but the uh, cards because we see at one point the guys way back near the beginning they had one of those old like viewfinder type uh, uh, goggles where you put the picture at the end of the the stick and you move it and it's supposed to give like a three D image, and so they have them, and then he runs across the foot guy who throws one at him because he will. And then near the end, the doctor, the scientist that he shows up that had the little girl, he had picture cards as well. Yeah. 
and I didn't get it. <laughs> I feel so dumb watching this well, movie, Andrew. I, I just... uh, well, you know, you're not supposed to necessarily. It, it, you have what you have to remember is it's not like a. It's not a regular movie. It wasn't designed to be. Yeah. It's not necessarily saying anything. It's a guy early in his career um, realizing that film is where he belongs, and doing what he can to express himself. Uh, knowing that if, eventually if he wants to continue, he's going to have to start doing like a little bit more commercial things. So people are going to have to start talking to each other in the movies. <laughs> you know, there's going to have to be something kind of linear and something an audience can hook into. But the rad thing about what you are doing, because I love Cronenberg. He's like one of my favorite, most fascinating filmmakers to me uh, is starting by starting from the beginning. You're going to see the connection, especially with all these early ones, uh, you're going to see like just how predictive crimes of the future was and just how well it actually fits in with all this stuff. Cause like, mm -hmm. you know, from here on there, they're basically like two little trilogies, uh, uh, shivers, rabid, the brood, and then scanners, videodrome existence. And, um, all of them fit together. They're so much fun to watch like back to back to back and cosmopolis, even though, and I think I may have said this on the videodrome episode, even though he it's based on a book, um, I feel it really does slide in there too. Um, you could watch video drum and Cosmopolis one after the other. I mean, the endings are almost identical. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, but really and truly, yeah, those, those six for sure. Um, they all fit together so well and so neatly, but it's, they're cool. But really, if you've seen crimes of the future first and then go in order, you see how they all built off each other, but there's little things in it that continue, continue. Uh, there's a part in crimes of the future. I, uh, there's, there's a, there's some guy in a, a red outfit. Yeah. Like a, like a doctor mm -hmm. in a red outfit. Dead ringers, man. Yeah, I know. I, you the know, minute I, minute I saw that. I was like, Oh, <laughs> isn't that great? So, um, this is what you like to see. Um, some people like a filmmaker to not revisit themselves and do something different see them appear in multiple genres and stuff like that. But, uh, Cronenberg is a fascinating, great one to talk about and a great one to examine, uh, because of what he's kind of carved out from himself when, when he wasn't, his later career is marked by, you know, after video drum, he's for the most part adapting other people's stuff. Yeah. Uh, even if he's been the screenwriter, uh, it's based on, you know, books, movies, uh, things like that. And so, um, the early ones are the coolest because these are still all him, you know? Yeah. This, you get definitely the feel that it is all him. And like I said, I felt kind of inadequate watching the movie. Cause I'm like sitting here going, there's so much going on. I'm like, there's so many yeah. things. Some of these things could be, you know, and <laughs> that's what he wants. You know, that's what a good underground film is and good art mm -hmm. film, experimental film. It's like, they want you to engage with it. You know, it's it's not them trying to tell you one specific thing. Otherwise, they would be telling you everything. You'd hear what everyone was saying to each other. Um, there are parts where their mouths are moving and you're going like, please. Right. But that's only because the way you're used to seeing narrative film go uh, is you're given everything. But mm -hmm. I think you particularly love it when you're not, um, because then you get to you get more involved in the film because of it. You know, it becomes a little bit more personal to you and. Uh, you engage with it in a different way than most films where you're just like the observer. Yeah, you're definitely a participant in this as your brain works on, you know, everything that's going on. 
Uh, I mean, we, we even get a weird scene in here where the guys are discussing one of the guys who has a root growing out of his nose <laughs> that he suspects it goes to his brain and it's an extended nerve that gives him like extra perception. <laughs> But it's such a dude conclusion to make. You know what I mean? Like, oh no, this isn't cancer. No. Oh no, this this is not mutation. It's like this this isn't something I fell down and then just like got stuck up here. No, no, this is an antenna. Yeah, in <laughs> in fact, most of the oddities that are happening to men, the person who's suffering from it has some kind of justification that turns it into a positive so they don't think of it actually being a negative. From the guy that's got the extra organs to, yeah, root nose guy who, oh, no, this isn't some deadly mutation or something that's going to, you know, eventually infect my sinuses and die. No, this is an antenna to make me help receive better signals. Yeah, and and you see them, you know, fetishizing and sexualizing uh, the body, the flesh, inanimate objects. I mean, this is all Cronenberg's bread and butter in this movie, you know. So, um, I I know people who are, are fans who've actually not seen these uh, because they know that they're like about an hour long, and they know uh, that they're weird, and they know yeah. that there's they're not like a straight narrative. And I, I to them, I I just see. You, you can be a fan in any way that you want to, but if you want to see the body of work as a body and in context and in chronological order, can't leave these off. You can't leave crimes of the future off. Yeah. I, I am glad we're doing this and you know, uh, this got voted on and picked because uh, this is stuff that I, I love to watch. Maybe not all the time, but I, I love seeing stuff like this and just watching this film, I picked out like, Oh, I saw that in this Cronenberg film and Oh, we've seen this in this Cronenberg film. And yeah, you, you see the template here really, um, you know, that it, it gets more refined in his later films. The, the, the ones that I've seen, uh, but in here you can, it, it's kind of interesting to see, where some of all of that started and how much of that has been with the filmmaker all along. <laughs> yeah. And some of it's still there, even then later. I mean, you can look yeah. at some of the stuff with, you know, dangerous method with the doctors and, and even in maps to the stars, uh, some of the weirder stuff that happens in there. And it kind of almost it maps to the stars almost in a way, it kind of returned to this because a lot of people hated that one because of how obtuse it was. Uh, uh, but really I loved it because I was like, man, he's, he almost circles back. Like mm -hmm. I would love for him to make one more movie. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, and then it's been a minute, but, uh, I really, I would love for him to take one more feature, but if maps of the stars is where it ends, which is where I would imagine your series is going to eventually have to kind of circle around to, uh, what is the latest movie you guys are covering? Like, what's the last one on the list? Um, I have to look at it again. Uh, it's not Maps of the Stars. It was a couple before that. Um, but we can always work Maps of the Stars in there. Uh, I believe it is uh, History of Violence is the last uh, of those films that uh, people voted on. So uh, but I'm always open to working in more. <laughs> well, I mean, twelve but, is a is a is a lot. But if you if you find yourself wanting to kind of like 
circle back and connect because I don't know that history of violence would, if you were looking as sort of to kind of put a tag on it, um, it would be neat to, uh, yeah, to look at, I would say, yeah, Cosmopolis, definitely. Uh, maybe Maps of Stars, but definitely Cosmopolis is an ending. We we might end the year, uh, maybe I'll toss it in as, as a bonus, Cronenberg, uh, one of those two, because I am curious, because I didn't see those. I'd seen Eastern Promises, mm-hmm. uh, which I loved, uh, but that one was was a pretty more straightforward film, um, you know, that you're i wasn't actually quite used to seeing from him so yeah all those all those pat all those in the early two everything past existence definitely um up until uh, which they're all fantastic uh, but uh you know you get around to cosmopolis and maps of stars you got weird again which is yeah so great because <laughs> we we need more weird ones uh, at least once in a while to help keep things interesting for well, sure. it, I love them all, but that that's my favorite type of stuff from him. You know, I just, <laughs> the more upset and freaked out it makes people. Uh, but I also like, yeah, I like to see that kind of like, uh, I like to see the end mm-hmm. of, of uh, or at least coming back around if the career is then going to end. I don't know how old he is, but he's, you know, he's got to be up there. He's got to be in his 70s. Uh, he's 75. Yeah. See, he made to be done with yeah. features. I know he's come back to shorts. He sent a couple of shorts in the last few years, which is how he started, which is cool to me. Yeah, he did a. He hasn't done anything since 2014. That was Maps um, to the Stars. Yeah, and then he did a short film called Consumed. Oh yeah, that one's cool. You can just watch that on the internet. <laughs> so yeah, so he's done those. So I think uh, we will end it here. Uh, I appreciate Andrew joining me here because uh you made far more sense of the film than myself uh, while i'm sitting here rambling just trying to uh get my thoughts in order because when the film ended i was like i i there's so much to process and i'm still processing so um i thank you uh for doing this episode with me and uh like we did kind of last year we were like what did we learn uh, from the 50s from the it came from the 50s I think I'm going to do these Cronenberg episodes to where if there's one thing that you would say uh, someone might take away from Cronenberg uh, from seeing Crimes of the Future, what would you say that would be? That this guy, uh, you know, he's he's got a very kind of scientific mind and a uh, very literary mind. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in that kind of that old saying where the world is a, a uh, comedy for those who think and a tragedy for those who feel mm-hmm. um, he's got the definite kind of mix of both because of how funny it is. Um, but mostly, you know, it holds a mirror up to what men think of themselves <laughs> <laughs> and shows just how fucking ridiculous and how, how easily that crumbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I I would agree that yeah uh, taken away from that that you know what you you, you kind of need a balance in the world and when you don't have a balance when it is tipped to one uh, in this case one gender too much uh, it's very easy especially for that gender uh, to lose themselves and uh, you know it throws the balance off and they kind of de evolve. <laughs> Oh yeah, in a way. 
you know, so you, you kind of need a balance. You need a counterpoint to the point because if it's all just the same point, eventually it's going to disintegrate. <laughs> and yeah. the, those who believe in that one point of view will start disagreeing with each other because they have no one to disagree with. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that echo chamber thing, and then you know everything results in you know violence and chaos and poor yeah. decisions and STDs <laughs> <laughs> that that make you cannibalism. Uh, yeah, it make make you you know secrete foam from your various orifices. So that's right. And there you have it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now this is the point where I give my guess the license to shill so andrew please tell these fine folks where they can find you at oh thanks well hey this is a pleasure man and what an honor to be on the very first of these cronenberg series of episodes here you're doing the dark lord's work here partner <laughs> uh, no, i'm not, not quite sure what i'm getting myself into but <laughs> no dude it's a good it's a good choice man um my friends and i here in athens georgia make movies low budget movies underground movies uh, and we're called Gonzorific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. Look for us on Amazon Prime, on YouTube, and on Instagram. You're just going to see a lot of crazy crap. A lot of great and entertaining crazy crap, that's for sure, though. Oh, yeah, so, and you can buy our crazy crap at gonzorific.com. There you go, folks. So if you like crazy crap and you like uh, crazy films similar uh, in some ways to uh, crime of the century Andrew right. definitely captures that spirit oh uh, thanks man yeah I um, yeah we would and definitely fall into the category of feminism as well mm -hmm. uh, it, proudly uh, and well-deserved uh, fall into that category as well so so check it out folks I hope you enjoy uh, my ramblings and Andrew's very constructive thoughts on uh, crime of the century and if you've seen the film uh, you probably know where we're coming from when we say it is a film that needs to be seen more than once. Uh, but if you watch this, you'll see a lot of Cronenberg uh, where it shows up again in his later films. And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next uh, few months here or over the rest of the year. We'll have one Cronenberg episode a month. And uh, the next episode we will do next month will be Shivers. So that's going to be an interesting discussion as well. And I thank you for listening to our conversation. And I'll just say goodnight, Andrew. Goodnight, and I'm coming back for Crash. Hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support, and remember in the spoiler room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.